It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a sensational weekend. We have a big show coming your way. We're going to be joined by Michael Gordon at the bottom of the hour, Wall Street Journal journalist, who uh, was part of the group that came up with this story, uh, the breaking story, really, from the Wuhan virus. You know how we were told in December the first case was found out and it hit our shores in January? Well, now it turns out three Wuhan lab workers came down with, now we know, of symptoms of the COVID-19 virus. So if this thing happened in a wet market with a bat biting another type of animal that jumped to human beings, why is it that three Wuhan lab workers working next to each other end up being hospitalized with the same symptoms? And why isn't the Biden administration more curious? We'll discuss that with Michael Gordon, along with the sources of his story. Uh, Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The city of Brotherly Love's homicide rate reportedly up 36% year over year. The Big Apple, a 22% jump in murders compared to 2020. This weekend, nearly 30 people shot in New York. Out west in Chicago, another bloody weekend. Local news reporting 48 people shot there over the weekend. Law and disorder. Yep, progress on one front, national reform. The folly of defunding the police is under, under the wire while crime, shooting, Homicides soar in Philadelphia, Seattle, New York, Los Angeles. You name it, it is happening. Why does defund the police still and even in our vernacular? Number two. Our biggest gap is defining what infrastructure is. And if we'd get to a definition of infrastructure that the country would have always accepted, uh, that becomes a much narrower uh, space than it appears to be right now. Right, Duarte. They're about a trillion apart. What's the big deal? Going through the motions or gaining momentum? We will lay out the details of the infrastructure talks with the Biden administration and Republicans, as Joe Biden doesn't seem to know what infrastructure really is, nor can either side agree on how to pay for it. Number one. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Now you care? Anthony Fauci, suddenly people are joining us and asking, how did China really start this global pandemic? And even Dr. Fauci, as you just heard, questioning the baddie story, why we can't let up the pressure on this communist outlaw nation. And here's the thing. They don't want to be responsible for it. Not only is it a national embarrassment, they owe us a ton of money. Remember, Australia came out and said, uh, China, you started this virus. I don't believe this bad story. And they said, okay, we're going to tariff you. We're going to harass your ships. And we're going to stop buying your wine. Really? And when Donald Trump comes out and says it, Anthony Fauci was one of the first to say, I, I don't really it jumped from a bat to another, uh, to, to human beings from the wet market. What else uh, explanation do you need? At one time, Anthony Fauci could have said, I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist, I have to keep my mind open to all things that uh, are possible because the Chinese are not being transparent on how this started. Think about it. 
This is Anthony Fauci on the origin of the virus. Now, why do I care so much? Why do I care so much? Because one nation bestowed so much pain, death, and destruction on the rest of the world. You tell India it doesn't matter. They still kept, they're losing, losing hundreds of thousands of people a day. We're down to 14,000 cases a day, which is fantastic. We have lost almost 600,000 people, which isn't. Here's Anthony Fauci, April 17, 2020. Cut five. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. Hmm. Three Wuhan lab workers came sick with an illness back in 2019, November. China says the first case was December 9th. Biden administration refuses to comment, but says the WHO and international experts will do the investigating. Do you know of anything of greater national interest than this? Why are you leaving it to the WHO, who, by the way, did a report and said, please question the report. We don't even like it because we can't get cooperation from China. Now listen to Anthony Fauci on May 11th. In the middle of all the questioning he's getting, this didn't get much publicity, but it caught our eye and ear. Cut four. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Okay. Now think about if you're Tom Cotton, who, Allison, remind me, he was the first time he actually said this on our show last year, uh, last uh, winter. He came out and said, there's a there's a lab doing crazy uh, experiments out in Wuhan. And I believe through a third party, we're financing some of that through the NIH. And I, I'm not convinced that this thing didn't do it wasn't a lab leak. And everyone said, that's crazy. And China condemned them. And I think he banned Tom Cotton forever going there as if he was going to Beijing for vacation. You owe him an apology. You owe President Trump an apology. Xenophobic. How dare you do that? Why does it matter so much? Why does it matter? Because if you were honest how it started, if it was an honest mistake, we would have prepared for it and we would have had tests to battle it. Instead, the CDC thought it was going to be like SARS. We were preparing for a totally different test. Therefore, it hit Washington and spread like wildfire. And we didn't figure out why, because it was asymptomatic spread. Because when people said, I'm fine, I don't have it, they were actually spreading it in some cases, never showing symptoms. So do you understand that it's not just being vindictive? It's not just saying, aha, how it, how it means so much to so many. Here's Mike Gallagher, the congressman from Wisconsin, cut seven. While I'm glad that Dr. Fauci is finally supporting an investigation into the lab leak hypothesis, the fact is he spent the last year throwing cold water on that hypothesis, really denigrating anyone who suggested we should look into it. Yeah. So at the bottom of the year, I'm going to talk more about this. So uh, we're going to expand on it. And this is one place we're not going to let up the whole origin story because I think it matters so much. Meanwhile, there is some negotiation going on when it comes to infrastructure. Infrastructure, not the sexiest subject in the world, but it really impacts you. You know, those roads that are bothering you, the tunnels that need to be rebuilt, the bridges that need to be fixed, broadband that used to be expanded. Absolutely. Let's do it. If you need to do it from the federal level, 
explain it to me, what the project is, not a shovel-ready project. I want a legitimate shovel-ready project. Put money aside to do it. Republicans, Donald Trump, now Joe Biden, they agree they need to do it. The problem is a small portion of the $2.4 trillion that Joe Biden is proposing is goes to the actual infrastructure. He has it going to school lunches, elder care, preschool. He has a, a green militia that's going to go out there and police the transition to green energy, putting it electric power stations across the country as we, uh, we uh, willingly give up the mantle as the, the most uh, important emerging power when it comes to fossil fuels. So Joe Biden came down from 2.4 trillion to 1.7 trillion. Republicans are at 600 billion. So is there going to be any movement, substantial movement? Susan Collins, who is the utter definition of a moderate Republican, said this about the negotiations cut 18. I think negotiations should continue, but it's important to know that there's some fundamental difference here and at the heart of the negotiations is defining the scope of the bill. What is infrastructure? We Republicans tend to define the infrastructure in terms of, of roads, bridges, seaports, and airports, and broadband. Uh, the Democratic definition seems to include social programs that have never been considered part of core infrastructure. True. I mean, it's just, it's just two separate things. If you want elder care, you want preschool, why are you burying it in infrastructure? Why are you doing that? What are you hiding it from? Here's why I don't think this will pass. And I think the Democrats realize they have to get reelected. Uh, inflation is hitting each and every one of us. You don't need this radio show. You don't need a politician, local or national, to tell you what these policies that Joe Biden's putting forward are doing. He has spent so much so quick. Now, lumber, eggs, butter, Cars, computers, your the, the the dormer you're putting on your house, the tires that you're buying for your car, every single thing I just mentioned and more are going up. And part of it, a great deal of it, is because of the amount of spending. It's deficit spending. The dollar's being worth less. And even as we start to come out of this and start earning more and tax revenue hits turbo speed, it's still not going to be enough. So the prices are rising. Simple as that. Do you want to add another $1.4 trillion onto that with nothing but more spending being pledged in July on a simple majority vote? Joe Biden says he's going big as if it's laudable. Going big with my money is nothing to be saluted. one 408 What do you think about that? I'll take calls next at the bottom of the hour. We'll speak to Wall Street Journal's Michael Gordon. Meanwhile, it's a special day for us, welcoming in a lot of stations. Uh, we have a WMXI-FM uh, News Radio 98.1 in Laurel Hattiesburg uh, in the, the Pine Belt. We're privileged to have them. Then we're going to have also on board WBLJAM uh, News Talk 1230 in Dalton, Georgia. Love that. And we also have WBAC now joining us in Cleveland, Tennessee. That is so cool. Welcome, guys. And KICD AM 1240 uh, in Spencer, Iowa. So we'll be in Iowa before you know it, talking uh, presidential politics shortly. So thanks so much for all of you for joining. I, I hope you can call. Jot this number down, and hopefully you'll be able to do this by heart shortly. one 408 You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We're making a a meaningful progress, and I'm I'm committed. We have a challenge before us, and our work is to address that challenge. And we're making good progress, hopeful progress, but we still have uh, some work, a lot of work to do. Well, that is police reform. Senator Cory Booker said uh, that he's got a great partner in Senator uh, Tim Scott, in order to work things out, he said, and if, if Mitch McConnell was not in, ba- in support of it, we wouldn't be making this much progress. But from what I've learned, if they have no-knock warrants being banned, that's a huge problem. I have a huge, uh, huge problem when they talk about no chokeholds. I got it. Choking is the wrong thing. But there's got to be restraint holds. And what you got to do is spread money out, if you're talking about police reform, to allow some of these smaller towns to get the universal training. And put out some of these, these great retired cops that oftentimes retire in their 40s. They're the best, but it's no incentive to stay on. Well, why don't we enlist them in massive training to the small, uh, maybe in the Midwest and South and even upstate New York and rural areas of California to give them some of the elite training they have and teach them how to get programs and build these mini academies and these training facilities where one day a week they're going in and they're shooting and they're talking about different ways Uh, different ways to de-escalate, all the things that you need an expertise in. I think that's important. When people talk about defunding the police, we haven't heard much about it. And Democrats say, you know, that almost cost us the House. It definitely cost us some seat in the Senate. You know, it was part of the reason why Donald Trump got 75 million votes, the most of any sitting president ever, even though obviously he lost. But there is stuff going on to defund the police, and it is happening. Now, in Chicago, 46 shot over the weekend, 11 fatally shot over the weekend. New York City, nearly 30 shot, as I mentioned. Philadelphia, 200 homicides this year, 15 people shot over the weekend. Not bad. St. Louis leads number one in terms of murders. Fantastic. And I'm being sarcastic, obviously. Now, Mayor Lightfoot is so hated in Chicago where everyone gets killed there and no one seems to care. Um, They gave her a vote of no confidence to the police union. She says, I consider that a badge of honor. Can you imagine that? The police union thinks you're ridiculous and you consider it a badge of honor. How bad do you think that is for people living in Chicago? I think it's terrible. 
for people living in Chicago. At least 20 large U.S. cities have reduced their police budgets in some form, adding up to $840 million. 25 cities ended contracts with police to operate in schools. There's this new push to get police off college campuses. Now, look in Minneapolis, where this all started with George Floyd's death almost a year ago today. A city council slashed $8 million from police. Then there was a mass exodus. People say, you can keep the uniform, keep your badge. Uh, The city added $2 million in community-based violence prevention. But you, t- I talked to two people from Minneapolis over the weekend. They said they don't even recognize the city. No one would ever, if you're a young female, you would never walk there alone. Seattle began in 2021 with a police budget of 20% smaller than last year's. Can you imagine that? In Austin, they made some of the most dramatic changes, cutting $20 million from police and moving $80 million in services outside the police purview. The city previously spent 40% of its budget on police. Now it spends 26%. That's why the governor of Texas said... I'm going to pass a state law that prevents these cities from defunding their own city's law enforcement. Who would do that in this climate? That's what's going on. Rich, listen on WDBO in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Hey, Rich. Hey, Brian. Good morning. I hope you can hear me. I can hear you great. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, so you mentioned the cost of uh, things going up. Just for example, I do a lot of remodeling. Uh, I was at Home Depot, and the price of lumber for plywood has actually doubled now. It was thirty-two bucks. It was sixty-six bucks for that same sheet of plywood. How much? And, a, uh, now put that into like. So if I'm out there and I'm just a uh, consumer with very low, low skilled, I want to buy plywood. Okay, I could suck that up. I could buy a couple of two by fours. I'll suck that up. But for you, who's got to build a house or remodel, what does that mean to the budget to the homeowner? It means they get a 48-hour guarantee on that price, and after 48 hours, if they don't agree to it, then they got to negotiate a new price. Or you don't build it at all, right? Yep. Yep. So everybody loses. Home Depot doesn't get your business. The people don't get a remodel. You don't get to work. Yeah, that's the way it is um, until things change, but uh, just wanted to relay that to you. In addition to that, real quick, I was at the AutoZone, and the, uh, the guy told me who works there, aerosol can has gone up. For paint, aerosol can has gone up three dollars per can, and an air filter for your car, which cost twenty bucks, is now thirty bucks, and that's this year. This yeah. year, yeah. What you're mentioning though is old things that that uh, reportedly hurt the environment. I'm wondering if that's intentional. You know, meat. They say, you know, because cows evidently commit uh, uh, this this horrible thing. They have gas, and because of that, they want to get rid of all meat. And we laughed, but what if you triple the 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 price of meat? Then all of a sudden, people stop buying meat, and doesn't that help their goals? They don't get those those air filters on combustible. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Question car engines. But what if you don't need those air filters for electric cars? Does that help their cause? I'm wondering how much they're inflating on purpose. Right, you got it. Yeah. Go get, go get well, him, Rich. Thanks, thanks right. so much for your call. I know I've talked to uh, another friend of mine does um, commercial real estate, and they're building condos. And the condos they're about to build, they said, okay, we just want to make sure the commercial real estate business is going to come back. So 
uh, and uh, residential is going to come back in the way we do in this area. So we're going to wait till after the pandemic. The money they gave, the uh, the offer they gave before the pandemic and after is so dramatically different, the jobs aren't going to get done. The investors who just put money into a fund and it's up to uh, these construction people and the finance people to decide where they're going to put their money have said it no longer makes sense. We're not going to make the profit, so we're not going to do it. So why do I say this if you're not in construction or buying a condo? Because this is going to affect how many people will support Joe Biden's ridiculous spending programs. He says he's going big. He's doing with our money. That takes no guts to spend somebody else's money on deficit. When we come back, the huge story out of Wuhan, Wall Street Journal. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We have a Wall Street Journal report today that fills in critical details that we didn't have before. We now know there were three lab workers at the Wuhan Institute who got sick. We know they got sick in November prior to the broader outbreak, and we know they sought hospital hospital care. So why is that significant? Well, this could be our patient zero. There's no animal anywhere, no bat, no pangolin, no palm civet that the Chinese Communist Party, the WHO have been able to produce as the source of this outbreak. Now we might actually have the source, another piece of evidence supporting the lab leak hypothesis, which is why it is so critical that we declassify all the intel. Right. And that was Congressman Mike Gallagher in Wisconsin talking about Michael Gordon's uh, story in The Wall Street Journal yesterday. He's a national security correspondent that says three lab workers in the Wuhan lab in China were hospitalized uh, in November of 2019. That could be the origin point of this coronavirus. And this is more indications that it needs to be examined. And that might indeed have been the case. Michael, welcome back. What is your what are your thoughts about how your story is being received now? Well, I haven't had time to see how other people are perceiving it, but uh, what I did along with my colleagues, Warren Strobel and Drew Hinshaw, is we have sought to um, ferret out as best we could everything that's known within the U.S. intelligence community about the um, uh, COVID-19 origins. And uh, the uh, Trump administration in its waning days uh, put out a fact sheet which made a number of assertions. That was on January 15th. Uh, That fact sheet was informed by some intelligence, but not all of that intelligence has been made public, so we tried to dig out what we could. Right. So what do you have? What did you discover happened in November 2019? Well, um, we don't know this independently, but uh, there's a a U.S. uh, intelligence report that uh, indicates that uh, three... um, Uh, researchers at the lab, the WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, went to a local hospital for care. We don't know, actually, if all of them were hospitalized or if some of them merely went there for treatment and left, Uh, but that's what the uh, report um, says. And this is consistent with the January 15th statement that was put out by the State Department that said... um, that some researchers at the uh, Institute have become ill, but it's much more specific. And the timing is particularly relevant since the first known case uh, that's been documented of COVID-19 in China is in early December. 
So uh, the proximity of uh, these researchers going to uh, the hospital for care and the first known case of COVID um, is kind of tantalizing information. That said, it's circumstantial evidence and doesn't prove anything, but it it does suggest a need for further probing of this question. And it's probably going to be without, uh, obviously, without China's cooperation, judging by the way they've acted to this point. The Biden administration, according to your story, refuses to comment, but says the WHO and international experts will do the investigating. Really? Why can't we just take the lead on this since it matters, since we could honestly say that 600,000 people about have lost their lives in other big nations like India are still being uh, are still in the middle of this horrendous pandemic? Well, uh, the Biden administration has um, stressed its support for further investigation, and there's a WHO uh, effort underway. Um, What happened was the WHO team went to uh, Wuhan in February, and they were actually only at the lab for a few hours. And uh, a lot of information that the Chinese have promised uh, hasn't been provided. For example, uh, the WHO team asked for access to a Wuhan blood bank to test samples uh, prior to December 2019 for antibodies. And the Chinese initially declined to provide this, and then, then they agreed, but they still haven't done it. Um, and, and nor has the WHO uh, seen the safety records from uh, the lab or any uh, specific data on on, um, on tests pertaining to lab personnel. Um, the lab insists that none of its uh, staff have ever got sick with COVID-19 and that they've all been tested. Now, the head of the WHO, uh, 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 the chief of it, uh, has himself said that uh, the lab leak hypothesis needs to be uh, further investigated. It's just a very difficult thing to do without uh, Chinese cooperation. And why do you think they'd be reluctant just to get it out there? Just embarrassment? Or do you think there could be a financial obligation to the rest of the world who they uh, just about every nation has been affected by this? I mean, I can't read the mind of the Chinese government. Um it's an authoritarian government. Um, I, I've lived in Russia, and I've not lived in China, but I've been there. And governments like that uh, are very often not transparent about events, um, uh, you know, that happen on their territory. You know, one thing that's striking about this, as you noted, is while the lab leak theory is not proven. Uh, although, you know, there are indications uh, such as the ones we wrote about and why it needs to be further investigated. The theory that um, the um, COVID arose from uh, migration outside the lab from uh, an, uh, an animal to a human is also not proven. They have no evidence, yeah. specific evidence. <laughs> Animals have been um, uh, identified or found. So, you know, that is also not proven. And so the fact that that theory is, remains unproven and the Chinese reluctance to share data has um, understandably fed suspicion about the lab leak thesis. But, um, you know, the, at this point in time, all we can say is that it's a plausible hypothesis, but not uh, conclusively established. Absolutely. So I want you to hear Anthony Fauci entertain this question. A year ago, and then I'll give you fast forward to last week. Cut five. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent 
with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. But now I want you to hear what he said May 11th. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Why is he so curious now and not then? Well, I don't have um, any uh, observation to make on Dr. Fauci per se, but I will note that um, the uh, U.S. government's understanding of both the virus and its origins has developed over time, and that um, uh, the, the government has more information now than it did in the early weeks um, after the um, outbreak. Also, you know, it's not one thing that um, people some, sometimes uh, confuse is it's not um, inconceivable that there was a virus in the natural world that was then brought into the lab uh, so they could try to find a, a vaccine for it, let's say, and then escaped in some manner. The two are not inconsistent. You could have had a virus that arose in the natural world from bats and maybe another host animal brought into the lab for work. But then the lab in Wuhan, which was intended to find the remedy uh, for the virus, uh, inadvertently became the source of the pandemic. That's the theory. So the two could could kind of go together. They're not mutually exclusive. One thing that the intel is not asserting is that uh, – this was uh, some genetically engineered bioweapon or anything of that kind. The theory is that it was uh, an accident uh, among researchers who are working on finding a, a counter to the virus, and somehow the safety procedures weren't up right. to snub. So, Michael, here's, here's what is real. And I'm not a scientist, and you're not, but you're a national security correspondent with the Wall Street Journal, did a lot of this stuff. Obviously, you have great... Uh, knowledge of the global environment. If we had known what was coming at us, we would have pre- the CDC would have prepared tests for this. If we knew about asymptomatic spread, we would have prepared tests for this. Instead, when we saw people didn't have the didn't have the any of the symptoms, we thought they were fine. They were walking around Washington State, and next thing you know, they were spreading the virus, and we have 500 or maybe 600 thousand dead soon. So. If they said, hey, we had a terrible leak and we could sort this out later, but this is what's coming at you, and there could be human-to-human transmission, we would have, been, we would have handled this a lot differently. That, that is pretty clear. Don't you agree on that? Knowledge that there was human-to-human transmission, whether it arose um, um, uh, as a zoonotic event, uh, leaping from a bat to a human, or whether it escaped from a laboratory, however it arose, knowledge that it was Uh, transmitted among humans would certainly uh, be good to know as soon as possible so that the government could um, take the U.S. government and the rest of the world really could take the uh, appropriate response. So I just want you to hear this from Jamie Metzl, who 
tells me, he's like, Brian, I'm a progressive. I work for President Obama, but I cannot believe the lack of curiosity around the globe on how this started. He's an advisor to the WHO. This is what he said to Maria Bartiromi yesterday, cut 12. Why is China trying so hard to cover up the coronavirus origin? The reason is, if it turns out, and, and nobody, who, at least who I know, knows, if it turns out that the origin of the pandemic stems from an accidental lab leak followed by a criminal cover-up, the implications for China nationally and globally would be massive. We could even imagine Xi Jinping possibly being overthrown. Uh, uh, people all around the world demanding reparations from China and many other things. And that's why the Chinese government will really stop at nothing in its ongoing effort to cover this up. And that's why everybody, we're all together, we should be united as Americans, as humans, understanding, wanting to understand how this pandemic began so we can address our greatest vulnerabilities. Is, is, do you see that that is something that could happen if the world comes to realize that this is how this began and this is what they did? Uh I have no information to suggest that Xi Jinping's uh, hold on power is anywhere in any way in danger. But um, the challenge now is to really get to the bottom of this in a context in which the Chinese are not cooperating fully uh, with the WHO. Um, and uh, I do think that the issue has become unfortunately politicized in the United States, and it became um, – and it, it should be depoliticized. It, it shouldn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whether you support President Trump or are very critical of President Trump. It's just an empirical question. How did this arise? And another reason it's relevant is we don't want it to happen again. Yeah. So if uh, there were lab activities that, in a facility that was not uh, secure and not fully safe – then it's important to identify that so that uh, further steps are taken in international uh, labs to prevent uh, leaks like this. I mean, that's highly relevant. And maybe some of the – if it is the case that so-called gain-of-function experiments in the lab somehow led to this, then maybe um, the world needs to take another look at whether it's uh, safe to do those kinds of uh, experiments inside um, – a laboratory setting. So it's it's very important for the world to understand how this came about um, so um, they can be prepared for uh, possible future pandemics. That's why your story is so valuable. Michael Gordon, Wall Street Journal, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, so there he is. Uh, that was a story. Three Wuhan lab workers uh, became sick with illnesses and symptoms very similar to what we now know as the COVID-19 uh, in 2019, November. They told us they didn't get this virus till December. So we are beginning to unearth the origin of this virus, but we have to be relentless in pursuing the answer. Back in a moment, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The reason for inflation, the stimulus. 
That's what happens when you pump more money into the system. It's supply and demand. A larger amount of money competes for the same amount of stuff, so the stuff gets more expensive and the money loses value. It's like what happened to Brian Kilmeade. They overexposed him, diminishing a great product. <laughs> That's the joke? Yes. The setup was the joke? Yes. So there you go. That was uh, Greg Utfeld making me wonder why I stayed to do a show again. Why do I keep staying to do his show? You ask this every time, but you always say yes whenever they ask. I know. Well, I don't. Not whenever they ask. Well, that's true. Well, but... Fridays make it good because they they tape early. Yes. But I did forget that. But you don't. Why is that? That you seem to get every diss. Do they like email you? And no, I just know. You know, I know where to go. We might have more to like sprinkle in at other points. Oh, really? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that is that is true. So. Uh, let's talk about what they are doing in terms of spending in this infrastructure thing. They're going to have another meeting. Maybe it's window dressing. Maybe they're just trying to get some cover. Try to tell Joe Manchin, hey, I tried everything. You better vote for this on a simple reconciliation vote. Listen to what uh, Senator Tom Cotton said, that he doesn't believe they're going to get 10 votes because of all the stuff this infrastructure bill, so little has to do with infrastructure, and it's just too much. Cut 21. He wants to give tens of billions of dollars to the IRS, uh, the organization where Lois Lerner uh, used the bureaucracy to persecute Christian groups and conservative groups so they can track the money that you have in your checking account or your savings account or your 401k. Uh, Suffice to say, I don't think many Republicans are going to support that in the Congress. I mean, that's one thing I really worry about. They're going to radicalize and militarize the IRS. You you juice them up. You double their ranks. They're going to go to everybody that's made any type of money in their life and just try to scrape all of it out. And no one will have any sympathy, but yet those people are the ones who are creating jobs, creating interest, creating the economy. And Joe Biden's idea is let's, let's raid their account. Mike, listen, WLAD in Connecticut. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind? So uh, you had a contractor on a little while ago. I'm also a contractor, 24 years in the trade. I have been through a lot of ups and downs in this economy, including the crash of 07. And I got to tell you. The material in this country is not short. It is all over the place. We have ship and lumber yards nationwide stacked with plywood, five, six, seven, ten pallets tall, sitting in these yards. We have one at Exit 9 here in Connecticut on 84, full of lumber. So I understand that there's some sort of inflation, but over here in Connecticut, we're paying $94 for a sheet of plywood. That used to be $47. So I don't know if inflation is enough to double the product cost, or are we purposely hiding this lumber in these massive shipyards um, nationwide to keep the cost up? Because companies can do that right now. I'm not sure. Uh, that's a great question. Is it out there, just not in the mainstream? Because I don't know who does it work for. Whose advantage is it to make things unaffordable? Why, unless well, you're out to destroy the country. Well, eventually, in another year or two, you'll find the middle class will stop building, and that's what will then drive the pricing down, and then that's what will make it more affordable because the middle class is what really drives building in this country. And the bigger concern to me, and I've written to Mike Rowe because, obviously, I don't have the means. Somebody needs to go to these yards nationwide, and we're talking – uh, these are just yards where you pile lumber and then you dispute, dispute it all over, distribute it all over the country. They have truckloads upon truckloads. So I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. just the people who are making it or taking advantage. Hey, Mike, of I really appreciate Thanks so much for the real world perspective. Uh, I appreciate it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. 
new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this is uh, going to be a big week. Hope you had a great weekend, but we're back in action. And, of course, the news never takes off. Uh, special thanks to some stations now joining our growing family of affiliates. WMXI FM uh, will be joining us on News Radio 98.1 in Laurel, uh, Hattiesburg. So that'll be great. The voice of the Pine Belt. We're also going to welcome in WBLJ uh, AM. Uh, we'll be on the AM dial, 1230 in Dalton, Georgia. That'll be great. Uh, WBAC uh, AM, that'll be News Talk 1340. That is in Cleveland, Tennessee. Thanks so much for joining us. You will not regret it. We also welcome in KICD AM 1240. Uh, that'll be in Spencer, Iowa. And congratulations. Uh, thanks so much for taking the show. We look forward to getting calls from you guys. one 408 Now, Michael Goodwin from the New York Post, Fox News contributor, is waiting. And then we'll get to him shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The city of Brotherly Love's homicide rate reportedly up 36% year over year. The Big Apple, a 22% jump in murders compared to 2020. This weekend, nearly 30 people shot in New York. Out west in Chicago, another bloody weekend. Local news reporting 48 people shot there over the weekend. Is this unbelievable? That's Mark Meredith reporting for us. Law and disorder. Progress on one front, national reform. The folly of defunding the police under the wire locally while crime shootings and homicides soar for the people that need it most. Number two. Our biggest gap is defining what infrastructure is. And if we'd get to a definition of infrastructure that the country would have always accepted, uh, that becomes a much narrower uh, space than it appears to be right now. Going through the motions or gaining momentum. We will lay out the details of the infrastructure talks with Biden and Republicans as the president doesn't seem to know what infrastructure really is, nor can either side agree on how to pay for it. Number one. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Uh, excuse me, is that the same Anthony Fauci? Fauci? Now you care? Suddenly people are joining us in asking how did China really start this global pandemic? And even Dr. Fauci questioning this batty story? Why we can't let up the pressure on the communist outlaw nation. And that's what the Wall Street Journal had last night. They talked about uh, three separate lab workers, researchers, who all got symptoms that we now know of COVID-19 being rushed to the hospital. And that was in November. They told us the first case was December 9th. So somebody's not telling the truth. Michael Goodwin, no surprise to you. Good morning, Brian. No, uh, China has has hid the truth, has hid the people who knew the truth, and some of them disappeared, never to be heard from again. Uh, This was clearly, I think, not a work of nature. Clearly, there were human hands involved in this, and and that's obviously my opinion, uh, and I can't prove it. 
But the way China behaved in the beginning, the way the WHO behaved in the beginning, I think were telltale signs of an attempt to hide something. And that something has never been fully revealed. As we as we chip away at it and we get a better sense, I mean, this journal story, for example, adding to the that China knew something earlier and they knew something bad earlier, and yet we've never quite been able to get our hands around what exactly is it. And that I don't know that we'll ever find unless China fully confesses. And if they did confess, would we believe them then? I mean, it's it's really a riddle that is is not just about the past, of course, but it's about these virology labs, this kind of research. What are the safety issues? Uh, so there are so many questions that uh, for Fauci now to say, well, I'm not convinced uh, that it was an accident. I mean. That's pretty striking. Yeah, you, I want everyone to hear this. A year ago. Listen to this. Cut four. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. And here's the problem, Michael. It's not that that's not a good question, but why are you curious now? Listen to what he said in the past, beginning April of 2020. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. Well, why is he so curious now? And why does it come up in questioning? Why doesn't he ever call a press conference to say, we've changed, uh, we've changed our hypothesis? It is very strange, Brian. And Anthony Fauci has, I believe, and I don't know him. Uh, I, I, in the beginning, I thought he was a good, calm voice in the midst of the pandemic. But he has, I think, destroyed not only his own credibility, but he's destroyed, I think, the credibility of many people in science because he keeps shifting as though every time is an absolute. And science is my understanding of science, which is rudimentary, but it is never final. It is always searching. It is always questioning. That is why, that is how it discovers. That's how it creates new, new pathways, is by always searching. Fauci, I think, has, has been uh, always on the, on the side of absoluteness. This is final. We know the answer. And that, I think, has, has ruined a lot of people's faith because he then switches. For, he we, we famously did it on masks. No, you don't need to wear masks. Oh, you must wear masks. Two or three would be better. I mean, that's not And science. goggles. Yeah, that's not science as, as, as it's properly understood. So I think there's just been a lot of career and, and uh, credibility destruction by this kind of certainty that, that he pushed out there in the beginning. So now when he talks, it's like, what's he going to say today? And you know it's some ways going to be different from yesterday. I mean, that's why the media keeps having him on. He's going to make news. <laughs> He's run out of room to make news unless he reverses. 
embarrasses himself, which is, he constantly does. I'm just amazed in the big picture, and I know you as a columnist, you always think big picture rather than get into the play-by-play of news unless you're breaking a story. I'm amazed at how many people in this country are not happy with the country. The most rudimentary thing to the biggest thing. From our past, let's apologize. From our schools, let's change the curriculum. Uh, From our allies, let's switch teams. And now it's happening. Bernie Sanders, 100 years old, to the next generation of Democrats who have no interest in going to bat for a historical ally, the democracy in the Middle East, who is staunchly loyal to us. Listen to Bernie Sanders talk yesterday and not get any pushback on Face the Nation. Cut 27. I think the United States has got to develop a even-handed approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We have to be pro-Israel, but we have to be pro-Palestinian. And I hope and believe the president understands that. Does he understand it's Hamas, not Palestinian? And the Palestinian Authority, who Anthony Blinken's going to speak with Wednesday, has no authority? The guy is useless, 85 years old, acts like he's 105, and is losing power by the day? Uh, if Bernie Sanders doesn't understand all that, Brian, then he doesn't belong in the United States Senate. And you're absolutely right. For him to conflate the Palestinian people with Hamas and call it all Palestinian is somehow so it's innocent. Hamas is a terrorist organization. It has been so designated by the United States long before Donald Trump. Uh, it was called a terrorist organization. So where where is Bernie Sanders' understanding in the dynamics of the of the place? And look, I I think we we're all getting a good lesson here, in two ways of approaching the Palestinian problem. Uh, Donald Trump did it by embracing Israel and recognizing Israel's right to the Golan Heights the annexation, moving our embassy to Jerusalem, which no president, all presidents said they would do. None of them ever did it. Trump did it. It did not result in riots or anything like that. So Trump, I think, correctly understood that what drives most of the Arab nations is fear from the outside. But that fear is not of Israel, and it's not of the United States. It's of Iran. It's of Islamic State. Those are the fears, and Trump recognized that, and so built an alliance around the embrace of Israel, which enabled these other countries to also uh, do more military cooperation, and eventually four of them to uh, recognize Israel, to set up trade and tourism agreements, the Abraham Accords. Joe Biden acts as though that never happened. He's acting as though we're back in 1990 with the Palestinian-Israeli, let's negotiate land for peace. All of that is dead. Once you have Hamas digging tunnels under uh, the border, and as, as Benjamin Netanyahu said, try to imagine all of the West Bank like that. Try to imagine tunnels being built under the West Bank, which is enormously larger than, than Gaza. He said there would be no space in Israel that would be safe. And, and, and no space in Israel is safe with the Hamas rockets. So the problem is not the land for peace negotiation of the Israelis. Uh, Hamas has Gaza, which was 
never part of proper Israel. But that's not what they want. They want to destroy Israel. I mean, how Bernie Sanders and the others on the left don't understand it is beyond me. Well, maybe they're choosing not to. They just switch sides. What is amazing to me, Michael, everybody knows the Republican Party started with Abraham Lincoln. But people now all of a sudden assume that the Republicans— are these white supremacist organizations that dates back to the KKK when it's all Democrats. When it comes to who's loyal to the Jewish state of Israel, there's no question Republicans have been more loyal. Donald Trump heads the class. But the American Jewish vote, how long is it going to stay with a party that despises Israel? And for the most part, this next generation has no interest in Israeli-American relations. Well, it is interesting, that history, Brian. Um, as I wrote in my Sunday column, Harry Truman uh, was, the, was the president when Israel uh, declared its independence in May of 1948. And Truman, 11 minutes later, uh, recognized the, the free nation of Israel, the state of Israel. It was a historic event, and it really set up a long period where uh, Democrat, the Democratic Party was the natural ally of the new Jewish state uh, through the 60s and the 70s, the wars, all of the wars, uh, the Democrats were the clear ally. Republicans went along by and large. But more, more recently, in more recent times, it has been largely the Republican Party that has been the firm uh, partner of Israel and ally. You'll recall in uh, 2012 uh, at uh, the Barack Obama's second convention, when the uh, Delegates to the Democratic Convention booed, booed the mention of Jerusalem and God in the platform, and they had to ram it through despite the delegates booing God and Jerusalem. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. But that, to me, marked a turning point. The Obama years were a turning point. And Donald Trump, in many ways, did the opposite of what Obama did in the Mideast by embracing Israel and isolating Iran. Uh, Obama tried to do the opposite. He embraced Iran and tried to isolate Israel. And look, I, I think that a strong Israel is in America's best sense. It's not just the history. It is a great ally. It is a strategic ally. It is a mighty military within its own right. So the Democratic position, I think, is just wrong on about a thousand different ways. Wrong for Israel, wrong about history, wrong for America, wrong for the future, wrong about who is the problem in the Mideast. True. Mike can't argue with anything because I think you're right, not wrong. Michael Goodwin, New York Post, Fox News contributor. Thanks so much, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. At the bottom of the hour, Cynthia, Cynthia uh, Lummis, and she'll be joining us uh, from Wyoming. You know, she is a senator from there, and we'll talk about this, about this infrastructure bill and everything else that's going on as the Republicans start their true quest to get back the Senate, and I think save the country. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Really, really surprised at this for all of Biden's talk about being tough on Russia and Putin. It's really strange when you look at this, Maria. I mean, you don't have to be great at math to look at this. Joe Biden kills the Keystone Pipeline. (laughs) Russia wins. The Colonial Pipeline gets shut down by Russia. 
Russia wins. And now the response from the Biden administration is to give yeah. Vladimir Putin a brand new shiny natural gas pipeline, Nord Stream 2. Russia wins again. So it's really hard to believe how we've gone from America first to America worst in such a short period of time. Uh, I, Director of National Intelligence, the former one, John Radcliffe, former congressman from Texas, obviously a steam lawyer, can't believe what's going on. And that's talking about continuing with the Nord Stream pipeline. What is that? Just picture oil and gas coming at a discount from Russia. What could be wrong with that? Because they could also shut it off. And when you start hitting them with sanctions because of their outlaw behavior, for example, going into Georgia, flying into Syria and taking parts of the Ukraine, and you start hitting them with sanctions, what if they just slowly charge you more for oil and gas? What if they decide to shut it off in the dead of winter when there's five degrees in Germany, France, Luxembourg, whatever? Do you know that they also bypassed the Ukraine? Is that okay? I didn't think it was. Rachel, listening on WABC in Long Island. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Brian. You know, the rhetoric of the Democrat Party is to be blamed for the anti-Semitic hate crimes in the USA. They are to blame. And where are the Republicans? The Democrats incite violence. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris has not condemned the anti-Semitic uh, hate crimes here. Where are the Republicans? They never fight back, demanding that Joe Biden, that means he's complicit. He agrees with anti-Semitism. Where, where are the Democrat, Republicans demanding that Joe Biden condemn Hamas, which they won't, and condemn anti-Semitic hate crimes in the U.S.? They should be out there every day. But, but I would say they, the they, they, they don't, they're not dealing with Hamas. They made a statement this morning, five days too late, maybe uh, five weeks too late, about the rise of anti-Semitic uh, incidents. There's been 193 uh, uh, over the last week alone in the U.S. from coast to coast all across the country. Anti-Semitism's on the rise. It's pretty stunning to see Democrats more and more of this next generation side, including Black Lives Matter, which almost everyone's a, de- everyone's a Democrat. They recognize Palestinians. But, but they don't blame Hamas. And even the Sunday shows were blaming Israel. Israel does not have the right to fight back, Chris Wallace says, because he, he says uh, Chris Wallace, who hates Israel, cannot – he said to Mark Regev – uh, he doesn't hate Israel. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what you're referring to. I didn't watch the whole show this weekend, but they are superior in strength and they shouldn't apologize for it. They've earned it. In fact, their tech value, uh, their their tech industry is so valued. They are now circumventing the Palestinian situation and going right to these Arab nations, setting up trade negotiations uh, and trade deals with all of them. So uh, hang in there, uh, Israelis. Uh, the, the American public has your back, just not in the, quite the numbers. We're used to, and I find it very alarming. When we come back, we'll talk to the uh, senator from Wyoming. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He wants a deal. He wants it uh, soon. Uh, but is there meaningful uh, negotiations going, uh, taking place in a bipartisan manner? 
he's willing to let that play out. But again, uh, he will not let inaction be the answer. And when it gets to the point where it looks like that is inevitable, you'll see him uh, change course. And we'll see if that effort is all for Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and maybe Mark Kelly to get them aboard so they can get the simple 51 votes with the vice president. Uh, Senator Lummis joins us now. Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming joins us because she's involved in these talks. And, of course, they're trying to win over 10 Republicans in order to sign on to a $1.4 trillion infrastructure deal, which does not have enough infrastructure in it or traditional infrastructure. Senator, welcome back. Is that a threat, do you think, to the administration saying, you know, if you guys don't sign on, we're doing it anyway? Well, I hope that they will continue to negotiate. We've put forward some infrastructure plans that detail the spending that is appropriate and identified for pure infrastructure, such as highways and water and sewer projects. That's come out of the Environment and Public Works Committee on a unanimous bipartisan vote. That should be the basis for the negotiations that continue. And our ranking member, uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, continues to negotiate with the White House. But still at 1.4, that is a whopping number that includes things other than traditional infrastructure. School lunches, elder care, preschool. Uh, there's going to be a quick reaction green force, like militia force out there trying to police different people trying to hurt the environment. There's all types of things here, but they say, what's the big deal? That's just changing with the times. Well, we already passed a $1.8 trillion uh, piece of legislation that wasn't even needed because the Congress had put out lots of COVID money in December. We did it again when the Biden administration took office. And there's so much money sloshing around in the economy right now, Brian. We have to be careful. Inflation is taking off. The indications in the economy should advise us to slow down. And so I am so hopeful that we'll look at real infrastructure instead of this massive Biden wish list. Well, I know, it's, it, but he did come down a little. Does that show he's willing to cooperate? Well, I'm delighted that he's came down. Uh, we need to continue to negotiate. The, the EPW Committee, Environment and Public Works, is going to work a bill, I believe this week, uh, that's around uh, uh, for um, roads, uh, a number that is doable over five years, and that really details uh, the roads and bridges that need repair in a way that is really consistent with fiscal responsibility. So I hope that the Biden administration will look at the work we're doing in Congress and not just say, well, here's our number. How are you going to fill that number with the things you want on the wish list? We should be building these budgets from what we need to repair specific things, not, gee, let's start with a gigantic number and negotiate from there and figure out later how to spend it. Are you in these meetings? Well, I'm not in the meetings that are negotiating with uh, the Biden administration. I'm only on the committee that's put together a responsible bipartisan response to true infrastructure. Understood. I want you to hear what Susan Collins said about the counterproposal, the senator from Maine, cut 19. 
I was glad that the president put a counteroffer on the table. But if you look closely at it, what he's proposing to do is move a lot of the spending to a bill that's already on the Senate floor, the Endless Frontiers bill. And so I think we're still pretty far apart, but this is the test. This will determine whether or not we can work together in a bipartisan way on an important issue. The other thing is how you pay for it. You guys want to do it through the, uh, the tolls and the fees. And they want to do it by raising taxes on the higher end to 39% from 37 and getting the corporate rate up down uh, up to 28, even though China's at 25 and so is Europe, uh, that and below. Brian, we've always paid for highway infrastructure through user fees. The people who use the road should pay for the roads. And that is the Republican position. The Biden administration, because it wants to spend more than user fees could possibly pay for, uh, is turning to the traditional means of paying for the rest of government uh, in order to pay for this. Uh, In the meantime, as you know, our third largest cost of government spending is interest on the debt, which is only going to grow if we continue to spend more and interest rates go up to pay on the national debt. We're we're in dangerous territory, Brian, uh, with our fiscal position. I wish we would step back and look more carefully at where our economy is positioned and what it needs to thrive. Right. Senator, you're, our, you're, play, you're aboard with Senator Rick Scott on a plan to pay down the Debt Act. What does that look like? The bill is because the federal government won't cut spending. Congress won't cut spending. So the states should be allowed to do their part by using unnecessary, unwanted federal grants to reduce the deficit. So this would allow states, such as the 21 states that recently opted out of the extra unemployment payments from the American Rescue Plan, because those payments were discouraging people from going back to work, uh, to use that money and steer it towards paying down the debt. Now, I know that this is just a spit in the ocean in terms of how much debt we have. But it's a step in the right direction. Rick Scott was the governor of Florida. I was the state treasurer in Wyoming. We know what it takes to begin uh, to address our dire fiscal situation. And we want to start, even if it means a small gesture like this. Yeah, I mean, it would be doing. I don't know how much you're going to give and how much governors. uh, I I know they don't like giving money back, especially to the federal government. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Senator, do you believe that they will have the votes from some of the Senate colleagues you talk to? If it goes tomorrow and he says, I'm not budging off $1.4 trillion, that's it. I'm going to get Democrats together. I'm going to vote for it. Do you believe he has the votes on a simple majority? Uh, Brian, I don't A simple majority, uh, it might take uh, the uh, vice president coming in to break a tie. It would surprise me if he has the votes at $1.4 trillion. But, of course, those Democrats are under tremendous pressure uh, to break ties. And Nancy Pelosi has a near iron grip on her party in the House. So it comes down to just a handful of fiscally responsible senators. 
uh, in the Democrat Party to push back on them. And we'll see how far they can go pushing back uh, before their party comes down on them so hard uh, that they have to vote with the president. And it remains to be seen. They're motivating a lot of people, a lot of Republicans to get to the polls because uh uh, and about it's amazing how much more damage they could do if they get another two years after these first two years after what they've done already. Um, Senator Cynthia Lummis, thanks so much. Brian, my pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. one 408 When we come back, we'll open up the phones and find out what's on your mind. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's welcome tonight's guest. He's our number one guest. When we can't get Steve Ducey, Fox and Friends co-host Brian Kilmeade. So Joe Biden's presidency is starting off worse than a Fox and Friends cooking segment. <laughs> well, you know what? I That second one. You laughed very hard. If you listen carefully, your laugh continues. Oh, let me just tell you something. Hmm. You've got to say it now. You can't tease our listeners like that. I cannot believe how much. I mean, the cooking segments to me are the worst part. There's nothing for you to do. I mean, to me, you, there's a whole channel for that. Well, that is true, the Food Network. Plus, you hate eating on camera, though, so it sort of gets under your skin a little bit more than the average person. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, are people like, oh, finally, a recipe I need? They don't usually – I don't think they mm-hmm. – uh, that's the main thing but with the Today nice... Show and those things. I think they're a, a waste, but – But think, if you're at a dinner party and be like, I got this recipe with Brian's mom made these awesome meatballs, and that's what you're eating. It's a nice point of conversation. Let's find out if there's more to know. <laughs> More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right, so there's a book out now that's actually negative on Barack Obama. It's unbelievable. And it's totally true in terms of the facts. Think about this. It's called, they call President Obama a parasite who sucked the Democratic Party dry to get reelected. People talk about Trump. Well, look at how much we lost when he left. Really? This is, what, this is what President Obama did. Got himself elected twice, but he oversaw a net loss of 947 state legislative seats, 63 House seats, 11 senators, 13 governors. He walked in with a majority in the House and 60 votes in the Senate. He lost Ted Kennedy's seat. That's how radical he was governing, and he didn't care. The DNC went belly up with uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz there, and then when Hillary Clinton went to run to her... She was being totally accurate when she said there was nothing, no part of it. So anybody who was donating to the Democratic Party was really going to Hillary Clinton and vice versa. The name of the book, um, uh, it's called, uh, wait, where is the name you of the book? You know what? I don't think it's here. Uh, Edwards I- Isaac Dover wrote it. The name of the chapter is Benign Neglect. And Dover writes that the section's namesake is how Obama aides privately described his abandonment of the Democratic Party as negligence. Uh, that might be more accurate. It's totally true. He is popular, got himself elected, few other people. Next. I agree with that. 
Bill Mickelson wins the PGA Championship in one of the great sporting uh, accomplishments of all time. Ranks up there with Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl, no question. Bill Mickelson, 30 years uh, from his first major to his latest major, said this about winning at 50 years old. Here it is. Biggest moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. And by the way, extremely popular on the tour. His seventh major. No one's ever won that this late. When Jack Nicholas won at 46, they couldn't believe that. But I thought this tweet was great that he put out May 11th. Phil Mickelson said this in a tweet. I've failed many times in my life and career, and because of this, I've learned a lot. Instead of fail, uh, feeling defeated countless times, I've used it to uh, use it as fuel to drive me to work harder. So today, join me in accepting our failures. Let us uh, use them to motivate us to work even harder. Tiger Woods tweeted out yesterday, truly inspirational to see Phil Mickelson do it again at 50. Phil Mickelson wrote this uh, yesterday, as you heard, biggest moment of his legendary career. No question about it. He was extremely happy. What I loved about it, the crowds. You saw crowds following him around. It was bizarre, chanting like it was a football game. But they were literally two feet from him. One guy was trying to hug him. Where was the security on this? That's a very good question. But if you think about the last year regarding age, Tom Brady, right, winning the Super Bowl, oldest quarterback, President Biden, the oldest president. I mean, is it time for us all to rethink age? Yeah, and when we're going to die, maybe one day nobody will die. Uh, Mickelson finished a 600-282. He shot a 73 in the final day, but they say the conditions were absolutely terrible. Next, Charles Barkley says the NBA is not going to BS to suspend, does not have the B dot 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 S to suspend LeBron James for violating uh, the league protocols when it comes to the coronavirus. Because this is it. If you are not vaccinated, you can't do something beyond hanging out with your team. He went to a big tequila party. For a tequila he's invested in with uh, people there that are really rich and famous and nice. Here is Barkley with Yahoo Sports. Maybe he ain't got the ball to fill Zero. When I read that, I just, I just, you know, like sometimes you read stuff, you just throw a lot of, hey, the NBA, they got no chance of suspending LeBron James. Like if it was, if, if it was a nobody, they would put him in health and safety protocols. Ain't no way LeBron James is going to be set out because of health and safety protocols. It's true. I mean, they did nothing when he had that horrific tweet a few weeks ago about the police officer. Right. But the NBA doesn't do anything. They're scared to death of him. LeBron James thinks he has special rules, and there are special rules for him. Uh, also, you know, he got pulled down, and they threw the guy out who started some brawl afterwards. They lost, by the way, so they had won six in a row going into this. Uh, they are to uh, Phoenix, uh, who came out and hustled a lot more. And keep in mind, too, it looks like he wasn't vaccinated. They say you could do anything you want if 85% of your team is vaccinated. He will not say whether he's vaccinated or not, but indications are he is not. Seems like a bit of a double standard, no? A triple, absolutely. Next, Stephen Colbert will break free of his coronavirus-imposed restrictions, return to doing his late show in front of a live audience. If he didn't need one, he's still in first place. 205 episodes of Late Night Program without an in-studio crowd, usually from his home, from a room at Ed Sullivan's Theater. Now it's how's the program. Now they're going to, on March since March 16th of last year, he's been the anchor of what he called a late show, uh, a more intimate presentation of his monologues and interviews. It's impossible to watch. All it is is a Republican, uh, a hate fest uh, on Republicans 
but he's going to he's still number 1 so he's going to go back in front of an audience Fallon really needed an audience well, he's you, back do you think Colbert will maybe get a little funnier now that there's an audience there that might not be laughing at all of his unfunny they jokes they are still going to laugh at his jokes cuz they're laugh. all left wingers next Texas will become the latest state to ban critical race theory in schools. The Texas Senate on Saturday passed a new version of a House bill that would ban the teaching of this. Uh, Senator Royce West, meanwhile, was one of many Democrats who voiced disappointment with the passage. West said he agreed with Hughes' contention that people shouldn't be judged by the color of their skin. But unfortunately, that is the plight today for African-Americans, Latinos and minorities in this country. I mean, I don't see it, uh, see it that way. If there's an imbalance, it's on the people. There are a lot of things built into society already to, to contradict this. I think it's great. I think the way that the, if you read what critical race theory is, it's not a, just an addition to our, our American history. It is an abolition of our history. No, I agree with you. It's just what he said. You judge people on the contents of their character, not the color of their skin. All the, all the thing is is going to get everybody out for the midterms, believe me. Next. Uh, president Biden's second Catholic president, he skipped, he's the second Catholic president after JFK, but Notre Dame was going to boycott. There was some backlash after he was named the commencement speaker, so he's going to pass. Why? Because of his stand on abortion. As a Catholic president, it's a bit of a problem if you are for abortion. So he will not uh, address the 4,300 members of the Notre Dame community. The White House told Catholic News Agency that Biden was invited but could not attend due to a scheduling conflict. Instead, uh, fin- uh, finance executive and trustee of the university, Jimmy Dunn, will address the graduates. I hope it will be an amazing commencement address. Let's see what happens. Uh, and lastly, Morgan Whalen wins top country, award, top country awards at 2021 at the, uh, the Billboard Awards despite being barred from the ceremony. Uh, Morgan Whalen, uh, I should say. His song, Dangerous, one top country song. Of his six nominations, Wallen took home three before Sunday Night Show. He evidently used a negative word uh, years ago. He said he was drinking too much. He regrets it, apologized. How long will they ban him for? Or is this his comeback story now? Maybe. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com or to the podcast, just in case you miss it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. Carl Rove is getting ready to join us in a matter of moments. Some great news. We're joined by a bunch of new stations, and our a number of affiliates continues to grow, and we're very uh, grateful for this. WMXI FM uh, News Radio 98.1, Laurel. Uh, Hattiesburg, the voice of the Pine Belt, is now on board. WBLI in uh, Dalton, Georgia, is now on board. News Talk 1230. Uh, Also, WBAC uh, AM 1340 in Cleveland, Tennessee. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, KICD 1240, uh, that's in Spencer, Iowa. Uh, uh, Yes, Iowa. Uh, News Radio uh, 102.5. We appreciate you joining us in KICD, uh, the call letter. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
The city of brotherly love's homicide rate reportedly up 36% year over year. The Big Apple, a 22% jump in murders compared to 2020. This weekend, nearly 30 people shot in New York. Out west in Chicago, another bloody weekend. Local news reporting 48 people shot there over the weekend. Law and disorder progress on one front, national reform perhaps. The folly of defunding the police is under fire, while crime shootings and homicides soar for the people that need it most. Number two. Our biggest gap is defining what infrastructure is. And if we'd get to a definition of infrastructure that the country would have always accepted, uh, that becomes uh, a much narrower uh, space than it appears to be right now. Going through the motions or gaining momentum, we'll lay out the details of the infrastructure deal. As Joe Biden says, I'll go it alone if I have to. Time is not on our side. Number one. Are you still confident that it developed naturally? No, actually, no, I'm not convinced uh, about that. I think that we should continue to investigate what went on in China until we find out to the best of our ability exactly what happened. Now you care? Is this unbelievable? Suddenly people are joining us and asking how did China really start this global pandemic? And even Dr. Fauci questioning the batty story, why we can't let up the pressure on this communist outlaw nation. And that was a comedy made May 11th. Let's bring in Carl Rove, one of the best in the business of forecasting and predicting uh, what's going to be happening in politics and analyzing what's happening now. This is maddening to you as it is to me, Carl, to see Dr. Fauci speculate on where it came from. And when Donald Trump speculated, he wouldn't say a word. In fact, he said the opposite. Well, I, I, I look at it from a slightly different direction, which is I, I think the, the evidence is becoming uh, sufficient enough to convince skeptics like Dr. Fauci that, that there is something um, problematic about the emergence of the uh, COVID-19 uh, and that uh, and that the WHO has been inadequate in investigating, and the Chinese have not been forthcoming. So, after a period of time, you you know, I guess the predilection is, uh, you know, at the beginning is uh, let's let's accept what we what they say, and then after a while, become convinced they aren't being forthcoming, which they aren't. And every bit of evidence points to something uh, unnatural in the emergence of this in a region that does not have the kind of bat from which this emanates from, and, but does have a, um, a, a research facility that, uh, that is working with this material. So I, I, I welcome it. I don't condemn it. See, I would say this. That there's same, the same news that was out there then was out there now. And he went, he's going out of his way to space, but he doesn't make announcements. He doesn't say, hey, I have an announcement. He'll wait for the question. That question came May 11th. It was at the fifth question, about 20, that he answered. He said, oh, yeah, I don't really know where it started. Well, I want you to hear yeah. what he said earlier when he was asked about this. Cut five. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. So... (laughs) Uh, I well, don't know. Look, look, I, again, just... again, it, it, again, we can stay stuck in this all we want. I, I, I'm, I'm frankly of the opinion that I'm glad he joined the chorus of people saying we need to investigate this more because, look, in the beginning, the evidence was not as clear. But the evidence has been growing and growing and growing that something hinky happened in the emergence of this 
uh, disease. I've, I've been talking to a friend who's writing a book on this. Uh, uh, very smart guy has written deeply, studied deeply for years about this, and you know he's center left, and and he's of the opinion, after studying this for years, that this could not have happened without some the, the, without some kind of problematic entrance of the of COVID nineteen. The most likely is is that not a deliberate. Uh, not a deliberate uh, release of this, but that remember, we now know, and it's relatively recent information, that three doctors uh, who are at that research facility were so sick in November of, 20, uh, of 2019 that they were hospitalized. So there could have been an accidental release of this, but they, it, was up, it was up to the Chinese to, 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 to speak forthrightly about what was going on, and they didn't. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe that they would, would have let it go uh, released in China. Uh, deliberately, but they certainly hid the fact and allowed people from look. Why is Northern Italy such a problem area? It's because there are direct flights from Wuhan to Milan, uh, and, and uh, it was easily and early spread in Northern Italy. So, you know, I, I welcome this. I think it's a you know I understand Dr. Fauci has has a, a you know bad reputation among certain elements of the right, but I, let's 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 accentuate the positive. We now have his voice being joined to a very large chorus that says the Chinese did something hinky, they're not being forthcoming, the WHO is inadequate, and we need an international effort to get to the bottom of this. And that's why the President Trump took the money away and said, you guys aren't doing a good job, you're subservient to China. And immediately, without preconditions, Joe Biden puts it back, and when asked about the investigation, he goes, I'm going to leave that to the WHO. Oh, thanks. Meanwhile, let's talk about the subset of this, and that's how states handle it. This Michigan Governor Whitmer again gets caught breaking her own ridiculous rules. She has six people or fewer at tables, one rule. Distance of six feet is another rule. Indoor capacity, 50%. Indoor dining allowed only 11 o'clock. Well, she gets caught again without a mask on at a crowded bar. She reads the statement and says, I'm sorry, I'm only human. Meanwhile, she already took a private flight to Florida, which she denied, paid 900 bucks for a $27,000 flight. How many chances is she going to get? Well, I hope, I hope she's uh, relieved of duty in uh, the fall of uh, 2022. But, I mean, you know, this, this has just been – and remember, don't forget, her husband at the beginning of this last year ignored her, uh, ignored her specific rule regarding watercraft. And so we've seen continually that Governor Whitmer is good at laying down the rules for everybody else and not very good at abiding by it. Absolutely. By him uh, herself. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Florida thing, look, you, she was working so hard. She did. She needed to get away. <laughs> and, and somebody provided her a seat on the airplane. And she, you know, I, my sense is that she just forgot so many things while she was resting and recovering in Florida. So here's your governor, Greg Abbott, who has a different approach to the pandemic. Let people have free will, and it's worked out. Cut three. You heard what President Biden said. Other Democrats said that I had issued a death warrant. And then, as you pointed out, we continue to have a decline in deaths after we open up 100 percent until we reach that mark of a day with zero deaths. And hospitalizations continue to go down even more. Uh, The number of cases and positivity rate continue to go down even more. Yesterday uh, was the lowest positivity rate that we've had on record during the history of the entire pandemic. And so it shows that the right move was to make sure that we did open up, get things back to normal. 
And, and that's it. And I don't think we, he got such backlash. It started with the president and Dr. Fauci, Neanderthal thinking that's not helpful. They never step back and say, man, I was wrong. Man, let's learn. Yeah. Let's learn from Texas. Let's learn from Florida. Never on the positive models, only the negative models. Yeah. Look, uh, it, the president of the United States owes uh, Greg Abbott an apology. I, 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 it'd be a mark of, of him being a big man if he was able to flat it in himself to call up Abbott and say, you know what? I, I want to apologize for that for that snide remark I made. But look, this is this is what we're what we're having to deal with is is being lectured by people who are often wrong. I would remind you at the beginning of all of this, remember Biden is being advised by a number of people, and they make public statements in February and March and April and May of 2020 that are at odds with what happened. They say, oh, don't use a mask. This is, the, this is going to be a minor thing, not a big deal at all, blah, 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 blah. And they were, that's the guy, those were the people advising the guy who now sits in the Oval Office. So he was wrong at the beginning of this thing, and he's wrong here at the end of the thing. I mean, there is the states like Texas and Florida are doing better than some of these, you know, blue states run by governors like Whitmer, who are, you know, are who are setting rules that they don't abide by that have no relationship to the reality of what we're dealing with today. Better to get our economy going again as we vaccinate people and as people uh, adopt better habits. I mean, look, we're, we are we are open in Texas. But it's still up to the local to a to a restaurant if it wants to have you have a mask, wear a mask while you're waiting for your table, or if you're shopping in a store to have a mask while you're shopping in a confined space. Fine, but this idea that that we're going to think about it: the governor of of, of of Michigan is dictating how many people can be at a table, you know, and 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 she can't even remember what that rule is when she goes into a bar. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And if uh, Joe Biden got to, uh, if she said yes, she would have been his vice presidential uh, uh, running mate and would have been eventually the vice president of the country, if reports are correct. The other big story is infrastructure. They had a couple of meetings, and then Joe Biden came down to from 1.7 to $1.4 trillion. Here's what Senator, Miss Moderate, Senator Susan Collins said, cut 19. I was glad that the president put a counteroffer on the table, but if you look closely at it, what he's proposing to do is move a lot of the spending to a bill that's already on the Senate floor, the Endless Frontiers bill. And so I think we're still pretty far apart, but this is the test. This will determine whether or not we can work together in a bipartisan way on an important issue. Republicans are $600 billion, but they don't want to pay for school lunches. They don't want to pay for preschool. They don't want to pay for elder care. That doesn't belong in infrastructure. Where does it go from here, Carl? Well, first of all, I'm shocked at you that you don't understand that grandma and grandpa are infrastructure. I mean, <laughs> please. I mean, please. Uh, look, I, we don't know because, look, I, Susan Collins was right. Glad you gave us a counteroffer. But I'm going to put a torpedo right amidships of it by pointing out that all you're really doing is moving spending out of the infrastructure bill and trying to stuff it in a bill that's already on the floor, That about, about which, incidentally, there is wide bipartisan agreement, and it has a relatively modest price tag to it. And it's, and it's aimed at specifically technologies that have that, that where, where we are at risk of losing the advantage that we now enjoy over the Chinese. But that's a bipartisan bill that should not be mucked up 
with all of this additional spending that we, you can't get agreement on in a, in, a, in, a, in a bipartisan infrastructure bill. So here's the test. President Biden is going to have to come back with another offer. He's going to have to find some way to basically get to another offer that actually takes money off the table, doesn't simply move it to another table and try and rush, run it through Congress under false colors. This weekend, I thought Senator Roy Blunt had a great point. The starting point is what constitutes infrastructure? We have, we have a definition that we've historically used. That's been augmented in the modern era by the so-called Davos standards that include things like broadband. Uh, but it doesn't include grandpa and grandma. It doesn't include Separate all this bill. special interest. You know, you know, look, with all due respect, the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers, the two biggest teacher unions in the country, they are not infrastructure. No, no, nor are all of the petty little constituencies that the Democrats are trying to buy off with big pockets of federal taxpayers' dollars. So let's get back to – I think Blunt was right. Can we at least agree upon what it is that we're trying to fund that is, that is considered infrastructure? And, and that ought to be the starting point rather than, okay, you, you know, we've given you 800 or 600. You've got, you know, 2.2 billion, 1.9 billion dollars. You know, let's all we're doing is, is just trying to agree on amount. Let's start by defining what is infrastructure, analyze our needs, and see if we right. can find some common agreement and come to a conclusion. So, and you know, when Joe Biden says I'm going big, he acts like this is a big deal. He's using money we don't have and spending it on programs we don't need. That's not laudable. And now with inflation going up, and I think the jobs numbers st- stalled, I really think people might be paying attention to what he's doing now, which makes me think that Mark Kelly and those others, uh, Republic- Democratic senators, that might be susceptible are not going to go along with this. I think there's going to be increasing problems for them. The tension between the the let's do it big, progressive, spend every dollar we can put our hands on or that we can print versus more moderate liberals who say there's got to be a limit to some of this and are afraid of, you know, look, it was Larry Summers, not exactly, you know, conservative economist who said all this spending is going to rekindle inflation. Let me make one point, though. Joblessness, I bet the jobs numbers get better. And I'll tell you why. Because at least 19 states, I think the count is, with Republican governors are getting rid of the extra yeah, plus up true. money. And, and look, I, 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 Pratt McCrory, I, there was a piece in the Washington Examiner. Pat McCrory was the governor of North Carolina in 2013. He came into office, elected in 2012, came in in 2013. He found two things. One, they had a 9.5 percent unemployment rate, one of the highest in, the, in that part of the southeast U.S. And second of all, they had among the highest uh, uh, unemployment uh, benefits uh, of, of that part of the world. And they owed the federal government $2.5 billion that his predecessor, Democratic predecessor, had borrowed from the unemployment insurance fund in order to make the generous payments that the state couldn't afford. So he made a tough decision. He cut. He and the Republican legislature cut the extra benefits, lowered them to the to, to the average uh, in the region, and made a concerted effort within a very rapid period of time yep. to repay the 2.5 billion dollars. And what happened? Unemployment dropped within the next year. The New York Times said it was the most rapid drop of any major state in the country. Got and, it. And that was because they got the incentive back to go to work. Carl Rove, great point, great illustration. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All the best. You got it. When we come back, we open up the phones. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com or the podcast. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't think kids need to be wearing masks outside anymore. I think CDC is going to have to revise its guidance around summer camps because wearing a mask, you know, is difficult in the summertime when it's hot. And I don't think that the risk merits that. Uh, but I do think parents need to make an assessment about the risk of the environment that the ch- child's going to be in. So, you know, in a, in a crowded, indoor, stuffy setting, in a classroom, for example, I think having kids continue to wear masks for a period of time is reasonable. It's still not in a very low prevalence environment. Dr. Scott Gottlieb uh, weighing in on what kids are going to be doing and not doing this summer. And kids aren't really at risk uh, for the last time. And I think that they have to, they just made an announcement in New York City schools, no hybrid option, get to school, fine. With a mask or not, are they going to be able to use the lockers or not? It's going to be plexiglass or not. Get it all down. And understand, too, now everyone can get a vaccine that needs a vaccine. So if you don't want your child to be vaccinated, you know there's a very minimal risk. Look at the ratios and make your decision. That's it. Teachers no longer can say, don't jeopardize my health. No, no. You now can get it. So Dr. Scott Gottlieb continuing to make sense, although I would say outdoors, no kid should be wearing a mask. Do not play sports in a mask. Certainly do not run track in a mask. And even indoors. Just look at the age and look at the susceptibility. If something changes will change the reaction Brett Bear next then your phone calls busy day Brian Kilmichel thanks so much for listening Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You're trying to chart a new course for the party, away from Donald Trump, away from the lie, and it just seems like... There aren't people willing to buy what you're selling. Where do you where do you get the hope for this that this is going to work? Because I love this country. Right. Uh, because uh, I believe in our democracy and I, I believe in our constitutional process and system. And because I look at it from the perspective of what's right. Yeah, and uh, that was Congresswoman Liz Cheney sitting down with Axios's Jonathan Swan, who's often a panelist on Brett Baer's show. Uh, Brett Baer joins us right now. Uh, Brett is off uh, uh, is a best-selling author, and also you can watch him tonight at six. Hey, Brett, uh, Liz Cheney's not going to stop being conservative. That also came out of that meeting just because she doesn't like Donald Trump. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, Brian, uh, I think um, you know Liz Cheney's obviously on a media tour. Um, I think that she's positioning herself to run for president, but that's just my thought. Um, and uh, listen, I mean, she makes some some great points, but. Um, Jonathan had some good good questions that that pinned her down about um, various things, um, including you know the last questions. Do you think she's going to have trouble going for re-election? You know, I, I can't put a gauge on that yet. I mean, she does have a lot of support, and obviously the Cheney name and the um, in Wyoming is 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 significant. But it, she may she may get primaried and. Uh, that would be fascinating to watch. Here's what uh, Bob Gates sat down on Face the Nation yesterday, and um, here's what he said about uh, about 
what's going on in our country right now. Cut 36. Yeah, we're a flawed country. We've, we've always had flaws, but we're unique in that we're the only country that actually talks about those flaws and actually works to try and fix them. Mm -hmm. We are an aspirational country, and we've kind of lost that uh, message, it seems to me. Because if you look at the latest example, our key ally, Israel, okay, there's always some people that are not going to agree with stuff Israel does. But now there's a lot, so many Democrats, it's really disconcerting. We have to apologize for our past. We have to restructure our curriculum. Uh, we have to uh, defund the police because law enforcement doesn't work. Of course, uh, we have to dismantle the police in some cases. So, and then we have to apologize for being the, this country, and now we have to find an excuse to enforce our border. It's like the Democratic Party, instead of saying I have a different point of view, it's almost like they want a, they want a different country. Yeah, I think what you're seeing on a number of those fronts that you just mentioned is not what Secretary Gates talked about. It's not aspirational um, or positive focused on the future. It's um, kind of going back to what they believe is fixed the past. And um, I, I don't know if that's going to be a winning message. I mean, I just I, – I sense that – uh, there are many Democrats who are worried about some of those moves and some of those talking points uh, that the squad and others have used uh, to the point where they're looking at 2022 um, a lot more worried than they used to be. Right. Uh, especially when you look at the defund the police movement, which I thought to myself, well, that's kind of going away and people are realizing crime's going up and they're not going to be as aggressive on it. And then I'm watching and looking at this Axios report about what has happened in terms of defunding the police. And they've taken uh, cumulatively something like over $800 million out of various police budgets. And even though the numbers are going through the roof, Philadelphia, 200 homicides for the year, 15 people shot over the weekend, New York City, 30 shot this weekend alone, Chicago, 46 shot, 11 fatally just this weekend. The murder capital of the world is now St. Louis, and Ferguson is where that where this whole defund the move, uh, uh, police movement started. And Mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, one of the most the least accomplished mayors in the country, she took it as a badge of honor that she got a vote of no confidence from the uh, police force uh, in Chicago. A vote of no confidence, and she loves it. Seattle, with a police budget nearly 20% smaller, now is crime going through the roof. Austin, they have cut their police budget uh, by $20 million. So this is really, this almost cost them the House in 2020. Why haven't they learned anything, Democrats? Well, I don't know. I think I, I really do think it's a big disconnect and um, that it's going to be politically um, an issue. I don't think that there are a ton of people in these communities who hate the police. I mean, obviously, they have issues and in specific incidents where they have to be looked at and, and in some cases adjudicated. But when that happens, the law works. Uh, I just don't sense that from these communities that they – they don't want the police. In fact, they want more police uh, to feel uh, more protected. And uh, that's going to be an issue because people are just not getting into the police force uh, because of all the grief they're getting. The other thing, Brett, is the big uh, progress being made now is looking at the where this whole pandemic started. And the Wall Street Journal yesterday put out a report that three people, researchers working side by side in Wuhan, went to the hospital with symptoms that looked as though they were COVID-19 symptoms. That will be November of 2019. The first known patient, December. So if, this, if they tested positive in the Wuhan lab as researchers, what does that tell you about the origin of this virus? Well, it tells us that 
the original reporting, we actually had reporting back in April of, of 2020 about uh, suspicions inside the government uh, that that's where it was headed. Uh, not for sure, but they had the likelihood of uh, circumstantial evidence, and we did that report, and then got lambasted for you know being out on a limb, and and Tom Cotton you know got lambasted for mentioning any of this. Um, now you look at Dr. Fauci, what he said back then in May, and said there's very little likelihood. It's likely a, a uh, natural transmission, almost positive, but natural transmission. To this week, saying. No, you know, I think it is in doubt, and there needs to be more investigation of the lab theory. So it's really interesting. Why did that happen? Why did the intelligence community drop the ball if it turns out to be the case? Um, the intelligence reports seem to be have been overlooked. And why was that? I think we have a lot more questions to ask. So Nicholas Wade, who did that great story uh, in Science Magazine, former science reporter for The New York Times, he was about 27 pages. He said this about this whole now push and the momentum behind the lab leak, cut 14. We must keep our minds open. We don't know for sure the origin of the virus. It's just we've got these two possible scenarios. But if you look at all the evidence and, and ask yourself, well, which scenario explains all these facts better on present evidence, it seems to me at least that the lab escape hypothesis explains it a lot better. So how do we get the rest of the world curious? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, but China has had a major impact in lobbying uh, different countries, representatives for the WHO, and um, have done a real job at trying to cover up tracks. I mean, scientists that were disappeared and evidence that was not available to be looked at. Um, I, I think you know the world has to continue to press China. The fear I think they have is that they're going to get blamed for the whole thing, and maybe they should. Maybe Jamie Metzl <laughs> weighed in. Uh, he worked for the Obama administration, advisor to WHO, and he's been pushing this hard that we have to look at the origins of the virus. This is what he says is his take. Cut twelve. Why is China trying so hard to cover up the coronavirus origin? The reason is, if it turns out, and, and nobody, who, at least who I know, knows, if it turns out that the origin of the pandemic stems from an accidental lab leak followed by a criminal cover-up, the implications for China nationally and globally would be massive. We could even imagine Xi Jinping possibly being overthrown. Uh, uh, people all around the world demanding reparations from China and many other things. And that's why the Chinese government will really stop at nothing in its ongoing effort to cover this up. And that's why everybody, we're all together, we should be united as Americans, as humans, understanding, wanting to understand how this pandemic began so we can address our greatest vulnerabilities. So that's a, he said to me, the first thing he says, he goes, Brian, keep in mind, I'm a progressive. You know, I'm just saying that you guys seem to be the only ones curious, meaning Fox, about where this came from. So, and I see that Anthony Fauci, I'm not going to play it now, I played it for our audience earlier that you just brought up, now says I'm open to it's not a, uh, some, you know, not some, uh, uh, some bat uh, biting another animal and then sending this uh, disease uh, uh, around the globe. So, but think about how adamant, how adamant they were when those questions surfaced back when we did the first, you know, series of stories. And, um, you know, it, it died down for a little bit, but it was always the suspicion. And now 
because there has been some more mainstream focus, um, you know, there's there's more interest now. And, you know, the great work by Josh Rogan and his book and um, uh, other elements, I, I think there are many questions to ask. And he, to his point there, the soundbite you just played, the reparation, think about how much different governments around the world have spent on coronavirus and how many people died because of this virus. Um, and the implications for China are massive. And one thing that hit home is we're beating it. Only 14,000 cases over the last uh, a day over the last two weeks. Uh, we're down 39 percent over the last two weeks. We're seeing more and more states outside Hawaii and now New Jersey has joined the normalcy to start lifting mass mandates. And then if you if you watch golf, and I know you did, the PGA, and you watch 50-year-old Phil Mickelson, first it's, a, it's stunning that a man that old can be that good. Number two is the crowd that was around him, Brett. You as an avid golfer, college golfer, can you believe where they were on that course? Literally walking right behind him. It was amazing. It was, um, you know, it had British Open of old. It had um, a feeling. I mean, gosh, it had Happy Gilmore uh, feeling around with all those people around that green. And um, seeing him walk through the sea of people and uh, actually close that out. It was nerve-wracking. I was pulling for Phil, but, um, you know, there have been times where he hasn't. He did, and it, it is good for us old guys that uh, you can do something if you work hard at it. Here it is, uh, how it sounded on CBS, Cut 37. Here it is, biggest moment of a legendary career. Phil defeats Father Time. And he shot a 73. I heard the course was incredibly tough, right? Really tough. Longest course in major history. And um, windy, and the greens were fast. I mean, all these guys were falling off, uh, but but Phil just kept it together, which is really great. And I texted it, actually, with Jim Nance afterwards. He's a buddy of mine. And, and I said, that line, that line was classic. Phil defeats Father Time. And um, he said it was one of the better things that he's covered in a long time. Have you heard anything about Tiger Woods' progress? I have not, other than um, uh, tangentially, a friend of a friend uh, said that he's doing well and that uh, he's really into physical therapy. And obviously, he tweeted yesterday congratulating Phil uh, that it was great to watch. So, boy, that'd be another great storyline if yep. um, if he comes back. It'd be Ben Hogan esque um, to win win again, even if he won anything, let alone a major. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, I think most focus is on the pro am when you play, and uh, I think it, it, <laughs> it overshadows the majors. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for calling. Appreciate it. We'll see you all tonight right. at six. See you, buddy. All right. That's six o'clock Eastern. We're going to be back to take your phone calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We have a Wall Street Journal report today that fills in critical details that we didn't have before. We now know there were three lab workers at the Wuhan Institute who got sick. We know they got sick in November prior to the broader outbreak. And we know they sought hospital hospital care. So why is that significant? Well, this could be our patient zero. 
There's no animal anywhere, no bat, no pangolin, no palm civet, that the Chinese Communist Party, the WHO, have been able to produce as the source of this outbreak. Now we might actually have the source, another piece of evidence supporting the lab leak hypothesis, which is why it is so critical that we declassify all the intel. But they're not going to do it. Uh, Joe Biden evidently is going to leave it to world investigators in the WHO who said, I want somebody else to investigate this. Even they weren't happy with the final report. Why is it important? Because China is the first to recover from it. China knows all about it. They still couldn't come up with a vaccine that was effective. We did. But they are going to use this as their advantage to make inroads in India, make huge inroads in the developing nations, as well as Africa, who is now in the center of the eye of the storm in Brazil. They have to pay a price for this. They have to start writing checks to other countries because they caused this and then they covered it up and made everything so much worse. Joe is in the Bronx. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning, Brian. What's going on? Uh, yeah, very briefly, with regards to the uh, Middle East, uh, you had a uh, guest on earlier uh, with regards to the uh, uh, Jewish vote in the United States being overwhelmingly left-wing, and you yes. couldn't understand that insofar as that Trump was probably the most pro-Zionist, uh, pro-Jewish president we've ever had. Uh, now, basically, with that said, uh, I'd like to mention um, – the Council for the National Interest, and uh, with the approaching uh, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, uh, the Council for the National Interest was actually established to pursue a neutral foreign policy in the Middle East that does not antagonize either side in that region. Now, why do I say that? Is insofar as that we should be pursuing a neutral foreign policy because the lesson of 9-11 is that a disastrous foreign policy thousands of miles away from our shores can have disastrous consequences right here at home. And, you know, when you look at the Arab-Israeli fight, you know, we should be uh, pursuing the role of an honest broker. If the two sides want to come to the peace table and they want to negotiate a negotiated settlement with a two-state solution, fine. But if they want to continue to slaughter each other, we should not be abiding uh, that slaughter, and we should not be taking sides in it. Because, again, it just simply antagonizes and brings those hatreds and blood feuds Joe, of the Middle you're, East you're home not, to our, one our thing, shores. I, I, one thing I think you're right, um, there are – like if people look at you as the enemy of the problem, but uh, I'm willing to stand up to an ally who's a democracy in the region – who is a successful economic power with almost no natural resources. And not only are we fed up with waiting for the Palestinians to come to the table in my lifetime, which predates my life by about 30 years, but so are the other Arab nations. Why do you think the Abraham Accords were there? Jared Kushner did a good job, but it was he first presented another opportunity, which the Palestinians didn't even show up to listen to. Then in comes Bahrain, in comes Sudan, in, in comes UAE, in comes Oman. Uh, now lining up with Saudi Arabia to set up trade and travel with these countries because the Palestinians are led by a terrorist organization. There's not even – Mahmoud Abbas has no authority with the Palestinian Authority. There is nobody to deal with. We're not dealing between Germany and Russia. This is not even a nation. The Palestinian people deserve better representation, but I can't pick them and you can't pick them. You can't make them pick people to represent them that are competent. I mean, these idiots are marching down in Gaza as if they're heroes. When commanders were killed, 50, if you're to believe their numbers, at least 50 kids have been killed, 160 overall, after they rained 4,000 rockets down in Israel, a country that's much more powerful than them. Here is Mark Regev. He's uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's advisor. On this whole thing, cut 25. 
Ultimately, in the operation, we, we gave Hamas a heavy blow. We, we uh, dismantled a large part of their terrorist military machine. We took out part of their leadership. We hit their command and control. Hopefully, they will think twice, even three times, before they strike at Israel again. I would hope so. Hey, thanks so much for listening. You can go to BrianKillMe.com or to any of my books, including pre-ordering my new one, The President and the Freedom Fighter, which you can get on Amazon right now. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Just click on that, and I can uh, personalize it for you, too, and send it out. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.